Okay, right now I'm going to ask everyone to please stand for the reading of God's word. So our text today is going to be found in 1 John 5, 13 through 21. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to, I refer to whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue in sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. Hmm. And we are in him, so who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. Dear children, keep yourself from idols. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Well, it's such a great honor to be with you all this morning. I hope that you're um, enjoying our time together in fellowship so far. I do want to let you know um, one more thing that I was um, just uh, excited to announce. We are intending on um, celebrating Advent uh, together. Um, Advent is uh, basically the four weeks, uh, the four Sundays basically before Christmas. And it's a time to just celebrate um, the, on, the, on the, I guess, the church calendar what Jesus actually accomplished when he came as a baby. And it's a wonderful t time to celebrate. Now, we do have these um, cards that we're going to pass out. I don't think I told our greeters this, so they got to think on their toes a little bit this morning. But they're, they're in, in, the, um, well, they're in the, the front entryway so our greeters can grab them. And as you go, they're hopefully going to give you one or two because we would love you to participate. Um, we want you, we, we want to ask you to think of people and pray for people that maybe don't have a faith in Jesus Christ yet, because that's really our heart, is for people to, that don't know him to find life in Christ, um, to, to let them know the good news of Jesus Christ. That's part of our mission here, to go to the ends of the, the world with the gospel message so that people can know, love, and follow Jesus Christ. So there are four Sundays of Advent. We're doing Christmas Eve this year, too. Um, Christmas Eve is going to be very informal. Um, uh, and just a wonderful night um, for us to participate. The one, the, the, the service though that we're really emphasizing as sort of like an invitation service, where we, we're hoping that you can bring your guest friends and family, is basically, it's not Christmas Eve, it's the Sunday before Christmas, and that is December 20th at 10.30 a.m. Um, we found that we've had better, um, I guess, success in bringing guests um, to our church to hear the good news of Jesus Christ on the Sunday before Christmas Eve than on Christmas Eve itself. And that makes sense because most people in our culture are baking turkeys and lasagnas on 
Christmas Eve in the afternoon. So we have, we have a better opportunity, we believe, on the Sunday before Christmas Eve to ask people that we know and love to come with us. Now, if that's not true of you and you know people that love to come to church on Christmas Eve, we have a service for that too. But we, we want you um, to be praying about, take, take one or two of these, be thinking about who you might ask. Now you say, oh, what about where we live in a social distance world, right? And it might, how are we going to pull this off? Well, um, I think if we had, let's say, 10 more people in the room, right now we probably couldn't fit that in here. But we could ask you, um, some, of, some of which are, are members in a long time, to sort of bite the bullet on that particular Sunday and maybe sit in my office with the door open. Um, a few people could sit in the foyer, and I think that we could make it work, and we'll do an RSVP as well. Also, too, if, if people are just plain nervous, they don't want to come in person uh, during Christmas because of COVID, well, well, we're also emphasizing our online service as well. You know, so maybe ask friends or family to join us online, and that would be great too, okay? So just, um, so just take one of these on your way out, and we would love to, we're, we're going to be praying that God just makes this a really great time of year for people to come to know Jesus. Um, a, a couple of other things, too, that, to that end that we're really hoping is effective is our time with the police um, that we're going to sp be spending with them in November. And don't forget you, right? Just you yourselves. You don't have to invite people to anything. You can be a living testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ at their dinner table or at yours. Um, so just remember that your friendship and your relationship um, is um, actually, in Scripture, what it seems to me is the normal way people come to faith in Jesus Christ. So I, I just want to encourage you to that end, too. We, we are, our hope is that more people come to know Jesus, not so our church can get bigger. These people can go to other churches, and we would celebrate that. We just want people to know Christ and the love of Christ. And this is the, the one of the best times of year to do it. So I hope that you can. So grab some cards on your way out. Our greeters will give you some on their way out. And I think that's all I wanted to say about that. So w let's go to, to 1 John chapter 5. If you're not already there in your, in your Bibles, I hope that if you have a Bible, that you can um, bring them to church with you um, and open up to scriptures and follow us along. It's a, it's a wonderful way to get familiar with your Bible, um, to, to, to also sort of verify or complement what it is that I'm saying with the Word of God, right? So as I'm preaching, you can actually see from scripture um, what I'm saying, right? That I'm not just making things up, having a good time up here, okay? So 1 John chapter 5, um, our, our society, I think, just loves a great story. I know I do. Um, we love movies. We love books. Um, we love a great story. And some of my favorite films have been the kind of film that has a plot twist at the end. You know what I'm talking about? You think, that, you think the movie is about one thing, and then all of a sudden, whoa, what happened? Right? Um, one, of the, one, of the one of the movies that got me the most, um, I had to have it explained to me. It was... It was um, such a twist was the sixth sense. Have you ever seen this movie? Yeah. At the end, he's bleeding, right? And I'm like, why is he bleeding? He's dead. No, he's not. What are you talking about? And I, I was like, wicked confused. And then, then like the lights turn. I'm like, oh, I get it, right? So the sixth sense has this plot twist throughout the movie. You think that this child psychiatrist, what, what's his real name? Bill, um, the guy, Bruce Willis. That's right. Um, so throughout the movie, you think Bruce Willis, who's playing this child psychiatrist, is trying to help this sad little boy who's panic-stricken because he thinks he sees dead people, right? And at the end of the movie, what's the movie really about? It's a really about a little boy who's trying to help a dead child psychiatrist realize that he's dead, right? <laughs> now, obviously, we don't believe in this 
you know, the theology of the sixth sense, but it's a good story. Now that one, you, you, you sort of figure out what it's about at the end, right? You, you see what's really going on. Some other stories, they, they let you know right up front what it's about, right away tells you. For example, the machines rose from the ashes of the nuclear fire. Their war to exterminate mankind has raged for decades. But the final battle would not be fought in the future. It would be fought here in our presence tonight. Ba-bum, bum, ba-bum, right? You know what I'm talking about. I won't say you're a Christian, you shouldn't watch things like that. You watched them too, so don't, <laughs> don't point your finger at me. We have been, we've been studying um, through the New Testament letter, um, 1 John, written by the Apostle John, and our, tel- and our text tells us quite plainly what John's objective is in writing. There's no mystery. He tells us right up front what he's talking about. There's no room for artistic interpretation. There is no plot twist to John's letter. He writes for one reason, and we read it this morning. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. In case you were confused about why I'm writing this letter to you, I am writing so that you might know, you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you might know that you have eternal life. This, by the way, is the same John that wrote the Gospel of John. You remember? Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And there as well, he tells us quite plainly why he writes the Gospel. In chapter 20, verse 31, it reads, These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So he writes the gospel to skeptics, to unbelievers, so that they might believe in the name of Jesus Christ. He writes 1 John to the church, to believers, so that they might have confidence that they actually have that life. Does that make sense? So in his gospel... He's writing, again, to people so that they might believe, but here he's writing to those who have already believed so that they would know and have confidence and assurance that they have eternal life. Friends, if you are in Christ, God does not want you to live in insecurity about the life he's given to you. He wants you you to walk daily in the confident assurance that you are his child and that you are guaranteed eternal life by faith in Jesus Christ. He doesn't want you to doubt it. He writes a whole book in the Bible about why you shouldn't. Our hope in Christ is not a maybe. Maybe I'll end up with Jesus in heaven. Maybe God accepts me and forgives my sin. I hope so. No, friends, it's not a maybe. It is an assurance because, what do we read in Scripture? All of the promises of God are yea and amen. They are yes and true. When God promises us something, it matters not how we feel about it. It will happen because he has promised it. So we exercise faith in it, friends. Amen? It is a guarantee. The Christian life is marked by a guarantee, a confident assurance. And because we as Christians can have the assurance of eternal life, we can walk in successive confidence daily, not in defeat and not an insecurity. So today, I want to provide to you from this text and others what is the basis of our our assurance? How do we know that we have eternal life? What is the Bible's proof, perfect, that we actually are in Christ? 
What is our assurance? And how does this equip us with confidence? What does it lead us to in the daily practice of our life? So the basis of our assurance and the confidence it brings. I hope that this will be an encouragement to you this morning. Christians claim something pretty audacious. We claim that there is an eternal life with God. We claim that when we die, that is not the end of us, but that we will live forever either with God or away from God. That's quite an audacious claim, isn't it? How do, we, how do you know that? Well, the Gospel of John says here's, here's why you can know that. Here, here's evidence. Here's what you can believe in so that you can know it, right? But we not, only, not only do we pro- profess that there is an eternal life, we, we add to this claim that we know that we have it. You know, I think a lot of people find that maybe even more puzzling and more aggravating. Not just that we believe that there's an an eternal life, but that we have it. And we know we have it. That that when we die, we don't just go into the dirt, and we're definitely not going to hell or purgatory. We're going straight to heaven because our sins are forgiven. And Christians claim that we know that we have that. Isn't that sort of proud? Like, how can you know that? Well, Scripture says, John says, I write this so that you will know it, so that you will have confidence that you are indeed in Christ and that you have possess eternal life. What's at the root of this? You see, this is, we, we can't just say things. We can't just hope that we end up there or just but, um, think that our words are what matters. We have, to, we have to base this on something. What is the root of our assurance? Uh, so I want to talk about two things about the base of our the basis of our assurance. I want to talk about the root and the fruit. These are the things that we look to, to to authenticate reasons or to give us reasons why we can have this confidence. What is at the root of Christian assurance, friends? It is not the result of some secret knowledge that only a few of us possess, that only countless hours of tireless study can attain. Right? We don't know that we have eternal life because we've learned theology, in other words. Or we because, we, because we know all the books of the Bible in order. Right, We've prayed longer than anyone else. So all of a sudden, we have this assurance that we're in Christ and we have his life. It is not the product of moral superiority. The root of our assurance of eternal life is not based in our goodness and our competence or our human achievement, achievements. The basis of our confidence and our, our faith, excuse me, the basis of our confidence and our assurance rather is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The reason I know that I have eternal life is not because of me, it's because of him. It's because of what he did for me. I write things, these things to you in verse 13, who believe in the name of the Son of God, You see, the assurance of life is given not to anybody, but to those who have put faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So our assurance is based on the work of Christ, the Son of God. Friends, do you want assurance? Do you want to know that you're forgiven? Do you want to know that you're loved by God and will be loved by him forever beyond the shadow of a doubt? that your eternal life begins now, that your relationship with God is right, 
You see, friends, what we look to when we want the assurance of life is not ourselves, not the ability to be incredibly or immensely holy, but on the work of Jesus Christ. The finished work of Jesus Christ, who died for us in our place, is the foundation stone of our assurance. We don't look inward, we look outward. It's held secure by the Father because of Christ, and it is never to be lost. What lies at the root of our security is the Son of God, who conquered all the very deaths that we face every single day. God is concerned not just with providing us with life. He is concerned also with our knowing that we have it and trusting him for it. Isn't that great news? That he didn't just save us, but we don't realize it and we're afraid every day, right? He's so concerned with our knowing and being confident in the fact that we are saved forever with him to abide in his love that he dedicated an entire book in the New Testament, the one that we've read, to this subject. That you might know that you have eternal life. You, friends, can know that you are right with God and are safe with God and have life in God. That you hear his voice and you respond because you're a sheep and you know his voice. Friends, do you base your assurance on how you feel? Or do you base it on what has been written? Do you base it on the promise of God? You see, friends, there are, there are many days where I don't feel very much like God loves me or that he's with me or that he cares for me or that my sins are forgiven. But friends, it matters not how I feel. It matters what has been done by the work of Jesus Christ. You see, I believe him. I don't believe me. I believe him. I don't believe my heart. I trust the word of God to do what it promised to do. Amen? Amen. Do you believe that your father's hand has you and that no one can snatch you from it? Do you believe that the son's hand has you and that no one can snatch you from it? You see, it doesn't say in, John, in the Gospel of John, the text that I just referred to, you're in the Father's hand, you're in the Son's hand, and no one can snatch you from it. It doesn't say that I'm in my own hand. It doesn't say that I'm in yours. It says that I'm in the Father, the God of life. I'm in his hand by faith through Christ. So that is the grounding, the proof perfect that I am safe and that I have life. To hear his voice because I know it. What lies at the root of our assurance of life is not my weak will, it's not my frail emotions, and it's not my meager accomplishments. What holds us up and what holds the weight of life is our magnificently beautiful Savior. He does the work, and it's him that we trust. Amen? Amen. So the world's falling apart, isn't it? in new ways, in ways that we just never expected in our lifetime. It's fallen apart. It's on fire, but we're safe because there's another in the fire. There's a fourth man that keeps you safe when the world comes crashing down. And even when you fail yourself in God, he's with you. He keeps you. The root of life is Jesus Christ. 
You see, the root of the life tree is Christ. The root of the life tree is Christ. And Christ holds up the weight. It feeds it life. And his life surges through the roots and up the trunk and out and gives us fruit. Isn't that true? You see, the root of the life tree is only Jesus. It's not me. It's not you. It's not my works. It's not my goodness. It's, it's the work of Christ. He's the one that gives us life, the life that we always wanted but never knew that we found it in him. We find it in him. Our sins are forgiven. We're given eternal life. That's the promise of God. And eternal, we've talked about this in other sermons. What is eternal life? We talked about that last week. Okay, It's given to us through Christ. He is the root of the life tree. But in that life tree grows fruit. You see, friends, on the life tree, if Christ indeed is the root of it, then we will bear fruit. The root is the basis of our assurance of life. It's that which we trust in and consequently are assured by. We trust in the root, the root being Christ. But there is fruit that comes, that issues forth from the life that he provides. The fruit isn't the foundation of our assurance. We don't possess life because of the fruit of life. We possess life because we have it. Does that make sense? The fruit, uh, the fruit on a tree is not what gives it life, right? But it proves that it has it. The roots give it life. Jesus Christ gives us life, and by which it bears fruit in our lives. The fruit is not what, is not what gives us life, but it proves that we have it. You see? So the assurance of life is Christ, but the proof that we're in Christ is the, proof, is the fruit that he brings. So what's the fruit? That's the root is Christ. What's the fruit? The first fruit that we see in this scripture is faith. The fruit of faith is always growing on the life tree. If you have eternal life in Christ, yet have not faith, your claim is a false one. You cannot claim to have eternal life if you do not have faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You have no life. If that is the case. I'm not saying that your faith is always awesomely strong. I'm not saying that there aren't times, maybe even many times, when your faith is weak. Of course that's the case. But faith indeed is there. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever has the Son has life, but whoever does not have the Son does not have life. You see, friends... Faith always grows on the life tree. The fruit of faith is always there. 1 John chapter 4, verse 15. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God, so they have life, right? And, and how, do they, how do we know this? Because they acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God. And so, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. Oh, friends, we might think we have life. We might think that we're fine. But without faith in Jesus, we do not. The fruit of faith in Jesus Christ is always growing on the life tree. It is what David Jeremiah calls the birthmark of, new, of the new life. The fruit of faith in Jesus Christ is always growing on the life tree. Friends, if you claim to be in Christ, is faith dangling on your branches 
Can you see it? Can you see that throughout your life that you have sort of leaned towards trust in Jesus Christ? That you've trusted him for your life, for your salvation, for your joy, for your provision, for the forgiveness of your sin? Do you trust him? You see, because if you have life, you will indeed trust him. The second birthmark of the believer is devotion. Right? The fruit of devotion is always growing on the life tree. And what do I mean by devotion? Devotion, I mean, is a willingness to turn from sin, to turn from our own will, to deny ourselves, and to follow Jesus Christ. You see, what grows on the life tree in Christ is a heart that is willing to follow him to wherever he leads. Again, I'm not suggesting that we always do this perfect. I'm not suggesting that we, there aren't times in our life where we say, no, I'm not devoted to you. I'm doing my own thing. What I am saying, though, is that there is a posture of the heart. There is a trajectory that God puts in us that we cannot over our lifetime deny. 1 John chapter 1, verse 6, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. 1 John 3, verse 6, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. That's just the, the bare, plain, hard fact. It doesn't say you never sin. It doesn't mean you, you, don't, you do not willfully live in it continually. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, in fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. Friends, the fruit of devotion is always growing on the life tree. It's the birthmark of the new birth. It is not what saves you. It is not the foundation of your assurance, but it points to the fact that you indeed have life in Christ. Devotion. The third is love. Is that the third? Yeah, faith, devotion, love. The fruit of love for God is always growing on the life tree. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ, the root, gives you life, your heart swells with love. You begin to actively love God. You begin to actively love his people. <clears throat> this is the foundation, by the way, of devotion. Why is it that we're devoted to God? Why is it that we obey and follow him? Well, it's because we love him. To be in Christ is to love God, and it's to love like him. 1 John chapter 4, everyone who loves has been born of God. You know what it's saying there? If you indeed have life, love will grow on the life tree. If you have life in Christ, indeed, truly, love will grow on the life tree. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. So not just a love for God, but love for his people. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 5, if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. It's a, it's a marker. The fruit of love grows on the life tree. I wonder, I hope, that if it grows on yours. See, when you put faith in Christ, the roots, this fruit grows. It brings forth 
faith, devotion, love, and finally, what, what I'm going to call growth. The fruit of growth, this is kind of redundant, but the fruit of growth is always growing on the life tree. In other words, <clears throat> when God makes us alive in Christ and saves us, there will always be a marked progress of life in him. It doesn't mean we don't have dips or hard times, and we don't base this, by the way, on how we feel in a, any given moment. 1 John chapter 5, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. So in other words, there is forward progress that God gives to his children. Victory. This is the victory that has overcome come the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. What comes along with eternal life in your life when you believe in Christ is victory. It's progress. It's to be an overcomer. You see, friends, and by the way, the strength to overcome is not in you. We'll get to that in a moment. It might be small at times. It might seem slow at times. And it might take a whole lot of time. And your feelings at times might not even sense that it's there. But he brings it. He promises it because greater is he that is in you who is he, than he that is in the world, right? And he, he who began a good work in you he will complete it until the day of redemption. So we don't look, we don't judge the quality of our growth through, at times, what can be our weak emotions. We need to look to the word of God and the strong hand of Christ and what he's promised for us. These, friends, are the fruits of life, and by them we can know that we are in Christ. He brings it. He is the assurance of our life. I, don't, I, I am not assured to have eternal. I don't come to church because I'm, I'm really hoping that I end, because God sees, and I'll end up with him forever. I know I have it already. It is safe and secure, and it's not because I showed up here. It's, be, it's because of what he's done for me, and I come here because of that, because I love him. You see, that, that's the fruit. It's just growing on the life tree. You, you, can't, you can't tell me not to come here. I'm not coming here to win God's approval. I'm coming here because I have his approval, and I love him. And I hope that you do too, because I think that, that sometimes that, that's not always the case. We're not secure and confident in the assurance of eternal life that he provides through Christ. Oh, and when we come to him by grace through faith, how the fruit begins to grow off the life tree of faith, devotion, love, and victory. So what's our confidence? Okay, we have this assurance, once we've built this assurance that indeed we are in Christ and we have eternal life, what's the confidence now that we have in our daily lives? You, you know, we might approach the Christian life with fear, with insecurity, af afraid of losing our money, our house, or our health, right? But that's not because we have to live in fear. God has given us everything that we need in Jesus to trust him and to live our lives in faith and not fear. That's his promise to you. The confidence that is the byproduct of assurance of life in Christ. And the, you know, the, the first way that our text tells us that we can be confident, it's in prayer. Did you see that? 
the subsequent confidence that we have on the basis of the assurance of our eternal life is that we can approach God in prayer boldly. Look at this. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. Now, isn't this incredible? That when you start to realize our lostness, our fallenness, how holy and righteous God is, and how we are just not, the fact that this says this is astounding to me. We have confidence in approaching God. We can enter the throne room of the king, and he won't banish us. He won't smush us. You remember like in that Old Testament story, Esther needed to go into the throne room of the king, and the king had the right, if you weren't invited, he could just off with your head, right? But Esther said, I got to do it. I'm going to have faith. Oh, friends, we can boldly approach the throne room of God, our Father, because we have the assurance of life. What a wonder that is, that we can have confident, a confident approach to the throne of God himself. It's mystifying. It's because of his great grace through the root Jesus Christ. And by it, by, by it, we can confidently approach him. And what should our expectation be in prayer when we go to God, when we dare to approach him in his throne? He says this, that if we ask anything, he hears us. Does it say that? No, it doesn't say that. Let's say what it really says. If we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Because we know we have life in Christ, we can approach the Father. Right? We can approach him, and he will give to us not anything that we, we ask for, not a, new, not a new gold chain or a brand new car, but when we ask according to his will. See, friends, Prayer is not a mechanism to get God to do what we want him to do, <laughs> right? It's rather a mechanism to ask him to provide what he has already promised to give us. Now, I know that might be confusing because we don't always know what that is, but we do know what it is sometimes. So the real question is, and this is the challenging one, do we want what he wants? You see, because oftentimes we use prayer to get what we want. We don't we don't go to prayer to have it transform our desires, to have it change us to want what he wants. Oh, friends, that we would be conformed to his will in our prayers and not force God to be conformed to our own. So it's not simply just asking God for stuff. Prayer is yielding our life to his will and work. Right? These prayers God always hears, and we can confidently approach him and know that he will always answer us with his help. So the assurance of life begins with prayer. The confidence that we have, we can approach God in prayer. Assurance of life brings confidence in prayer, but second, it brings confidence in fellowship. In verse 16, if you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death, there is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. So again, he's praying here. If you see a brother or a sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, pray for them so that they can have life. Now, this gets a little bit confusing. What does this mean, a sin that leads to death? And some people have, there have been a lot of different ideas about what this might mean. And I won't get into that. I'll just, I'll just let you know what I think it is referring to. 
The sin that leads to death is referring what I think is to unbelief. Um, John chapter 3, verse 18, unbelief, by the way, that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, right? So in other words, these are not saved people. John chapter 3, verse 18, and 1 John chapter 3, verse 14 remind us that to reject Jesus' death and resurrection as the only sacrifice for sin is to remain in death. To remain in sin is to remain in death separate from God, and the only thing that can remedy that is faith in Jesus Christ, right? God will not give life to anyone who remains in unbelief. So what John is saying here is don't pray that God will give someone life who, is, who, who he has already, already decreed death on because of their unbelief. No amount of praying will give life to anyone who remains in unbelief. They must turn to Christ in repentant faith. So our prayers for them would be, God, open the door for the gospel to be proclaimed to them so that they might believe and have life. You see the difference? God does not give life without faith. So what's being referred to here are the sins of God's children who have already put faith in him that sin which interrupts our fellowship with each other and with God. And the promise here is that as children, when we make it right, he'll forgive us and cleanse us from all righteousness and unrighteousness and restore us into good fellowship with him. So we have confidence of restored fellowship with God and his people, that no sin that we can commit will permanently separate us again from the love of the Father. Does that make sense? When God's people pray for life and repentance of a brother or sister, we can even intercede for each other on, on your behalf. We know because it's God that began the good work in you that he will complete it. We know that he'll answer that prayer. We have confidence in that prayer that he'll restore fellowship to his children. Isn't that great news? Because he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. We are his children already. His children, his child is always his child, and he will always bring back the one that strays from the 99. That's the promise of God. So we, so we are bid to pray for fellowship, and we have confidence that he'll bring it. And finally, you know, I love this. I think this is like the best one. Verse 18, protection. We have the confidence of the, of the protection of God. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we're children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come. What it's saying here, this is, this is sort of wrapping all of this up in a nice bow, is that when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you have a new champion fighting for you, and it's not you. It's Jesus Christ. The wicked one, I love the King James Version here, the wicked one toucheth them not. You see, friends, Satan cannot touch a hair on your head in Christ. You say, why, why do I go all through this junk then? Why does all this bad stuff happen to me? Well, did you know that your big brother is coming soon? That he sees... And that when he returns, he's pretty mad that a, that a sharp sword is coming out of his mouth. And the Bible says that he tramples under his foot 
all of the injustices that have ever, ever existed on this big blue globe. You see, the, the greater one, the bigger one, the bigger brother, he's coming back. In Christ, there is victory. And because of this, the wicked one cannot harm us. In Christ, there is victory even over our own flesh. The one born of, of God does not continue to sin. Doesn't it say that? So your flesh doesn't win. You say it might win a few battles every now and then, but it doesn't win the war. Christ does. The opposition of the world won't singe a hair on your head because everyone born of God overcomes the world. And Satan, that liar, the devil, that devouring lion, that sly serpent is crushed under the foot of Jesus. Amen. And he and and he will never touch you. The wicked one touches you not because we have a bigger brother. Isn't that great? There's someone in the fire with you. You see, you throw me in the fire, I'll start to burn. Isn't that true? You probably will too. The king leapt to his feet in amazement and asked, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw in the fire? Look, look, I see a fourth. And the fourth looks like the son of the gods. You know what I'm talking about here? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Abednego, the Old Testament. You know who that son of the gods is? It's Jesus Christ. It's the pre-incarnate, the before his birth Jesus. Because he was God, the son of God eternally before his birth, right? It's, it's the son of God taking on the form of an angel and protecting those three Hebrew boys. Who do you think's on your side? In Christ. He's on your side, and the wicked one touches you not. You see, friends, there's another in the fire. That fourth man is the one that gives you confidence every single day to live your life in faith and not fear. Isn't that true? And I hope that you will. I'll hope, I hope that you love him more than your bank account. I hope that you love him more than your age. I, I hope that you love him more than the relationships of people around you or even the strength of your marriage. And friends, I know that there are hard trials that come to us in our lives that should grieve us, but I hope that in spite of those trials, you believe that someone's in the fire with you and that his promise to you is everlasting life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this wonderful day that you've given us. Our life in Christ, protected by Christ, guaranteed by Christ, is coming with Christ. I pray that because of this, that we would keep ourselves from any other hope, any other false god or idol, and that we would not let them compete with the only God, because God, you indeed are the only true God in eternal life, and in you is life. God, I pray, Lord, that you would help us, give us the eyes of faith, Help us to believe this, to trust you, and to walk with you. God, thank you so much for the basis of uh, our assurance, which is Jesus Christ. The fruit that it brings, the fruit of life that grows off of the life tree. And God, thank you for the confidence that it brings each day in our approach of you and our hope of your protection. God, bless us now. If there's anyone 